0: Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and please stand with me to read God's Word. By the way, one of my lifelong dreams has been to preach on Mount Kilimanjaro. And I feel like I've realized a lot of my dreams today for some reason. I don't know. My dreams are coming true. I'll be reading the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1. I want you to get the picture of what's going on. Last week we looked at the first three verses this week we'll be looking at verses 4 through 11 so acts chapter 1 verse 1 in the first book o theophilus i have dealt with all that jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the holy spirit to the apostles whom he chosen to them he presented himself alive Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would have your way with our hearts today that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So we are in the book of Acts, and we kicked this series off last Sunday with an intro overview sermon in the morning, and a powerful night of public reading of scripture in the evening where we read every verse, every chapter in the book of Acts, 28 chapters, every verse. And it was beautiful, it was powerful, and it was a humbling time to be in the presence of God with others hearing the word of God. Now, I think a little bit of review will be in order for if you were here last week or you weren't here last week, I want to give you some review of where we've been and, and set a foundation for the book of Acts. So first, let me state the very obvious. Acts is a part of the Bible. And as such, it is inspired, it is inerrant, it is infallible. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that God has inspired his word. All scripture is inspired by God. It is from him. And he uses it to teach us, reprove us, correct us, and train us in righteousness that we would be equipped for every good work. That's God's purpose in our lives with his word. Now, the book of Acts is the second volume of a history of Christian origins written by Luke and dedicated to Theophilus, which means friend of God. Acts has been called the Acts of the Apostles since the middle of the second century, and it could rightly be called the Acts of the Father, It could rightly be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, but I believe it is most accurately called the Acts of Jesus Christ. My long version is the Acts of Jesus through his Spirit-empowered witnesses, serving his sovereign purposes. It is about his works, it is about his witnesses, and his purposes. We know that the Gospels deal with what Jesus began to do and teach. We know that the book of Acts is about what Jesus continued to do and teach. Hence, the story of Christ's work continues. Now, when you speak of Christ's work of redemption on the cross, his atoning sacrifice for sin, his shedding of his blood, bearing our sins, that work is finished. We call that the finished work of Christ on the cross. But the work of gathering the redeemed continues. It started in Jerusalem. What is being recorded here in the book of Acts, and Christ's work of collecting the elect continues on, and believers today are engaged in this same mission, of preaching the gospel, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, of gathering the redeemed, of preaching Christ and establishing churches until he comes again. Last week, in the first three verses, we saw five themes that run through the book of Acts. First and foremost, the risen and returning Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, the word of God and the gospel. Third, the Holy Spirit, very prominent in the book of Acts. Fourth, Christ's chosen witnesses. And fifth, God's sovereign purposes. We're going to see these themes run all the way through the book. We saw them in the first three verses, and we'll see them all through Acts. Now today, we're looking at verses 4 through 11 of chapter 1 and it focuses on the calling of Christ's witnesses. The witnesses are called, they are commissioned, they are sent for his purposes. And today we're going to see three things. First, we're going to see the method of Christ's mission. How Christ is going to accomplish his work. Second, we're going to see the magnitude of the mission, the scope of it, the breadth of his work. And third, we're going to see when will it be completed? When will it be done? We're just going to dive right in here at verse 4. We're going to see first how Christ's work is going to be accomplished. What's the method of his mission? Verse 4 tells us that while he is staying with them, this is the post-resurrected Christ, before he's been ascended to the Father, while he's staying with them, he orders them not to, to depart from Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father which you heard from me. Now, we know that Jesus stayed with them. There were many resurrection appearances, uh, post-resurrection appearances. And we know that from Luke 24, he ate and drank with them. So here's Jesus, who's risen from the dead, who has a resurrected body that doesn't need to eat and drink. So why is he doing this? Why would he eat and drink with them? And I believe it was to convince them that it was really him with them there that he's not a ghost, that he's not a hologram, that he's not a figment of their imagination, but he really did rise from the dead. There are a lot of stories circulated in those days of lies about Jesus, and he is making it very clear to them that it is really him risen from the dead. We saw in the first three verses that he presented himself alive with many convincing proofs historical facts were confirmed through many convincing proofs. First and foremost, eyewitness accounts to hundreds of people recorded in 1 Corinthians 15. Also the fulfilling of prophecy. Jesus, and it's recorded in in Luke 24, when he is walking on the Emmaus Road, he, he comes across two disciples who are dejected, they're downcast. They think, you know, the end of the world has come, Jesus is gone, and they don't know what to do. And Jesus says to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then it says, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He really rose from the dead. There were physical miracles that that were going on throughout Jerusalem at the time of his resurrection, most notably that... People who had died and were buried in the ground rose up out of the grave and walked around and appeared to people. That would be pretty crazy to see, wouldn't it? There was a lot of things that were going on. They were very convincing proofs. But Jesus tells them, don't leave Jerusalem. Now why would they have left? Why would you leave Jerusalem when you're one of Christ's disciples and he is He's died, he's been buried He rose from the grave And he's alive, he's appearing to you Why would you leave? I think it's because they were freaked out They were freaked out Over all the things that were happening I'd be tempted to leave too Peter has failed Judas kills himself I mean, people are dropping like flies Can you imagine what it would have been like? And by the way, they weren't you know, like The most popular people in town And so, Jesus tells them, don't leave. He he says, you wait for what the Father promised. He says in verse 5, John baptized with water. John's baptism was one of repentance. He was was paving the way for Jesus to come. And he says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he says, it's going to come soon. It's not going to be in a year. It's going to be soon. Not many days from now. So they have this very real expectation Built upon what Jesus has told them And it would happen soon That they're going to get baptized by the Holy Spirit Now Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit when he left But that's all they know But they've got this expectation But what we see right away is their expectation is off kilter It's tweaked It's it's way off base Verse 6 they ask him a question They come together, so he's got all these post resurrection appearances, and they come together and they ask him a question. Now, what would you ask Jesus if you could ask him anything right after he rose from the dead? Here's what they ask him Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Very nationalistic, very much about themselves. Their expectation's out of whack. The disciples ask about the restoration of the kingdom. Now, that's a good thing. This word restore means um, to to restore everything to its rightful condition. It's an end times word that is used of God restoring everything the way it's supposed to be. Colossians 1 speaks of Jesus reconciling all things to himself. It's this kind of word. He's going to set all things right. I like how A.W. Tozier put it. He said it's the day when everything will get its real price tag and true worth will come into its own. Now they would have been thinking about Jesus setting himself up as a king on earth. And what that would have meant is something very significant. It would have meant sinless glory. Glory. Sinless glory that none of the nonsense due to human depravity, such as what happened this week in South Carolina, would be happening anymore. If you're a believer, you are waiting for sinless glory. You're waiting for when Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. So they're asking him something that, that they know is going to happen at some point, but Jesus has something different in mind. And It's not just about them. He tells them, it, it was, it's not for you to know when the kingdom is going to get set up. You get in the Holy Spirit instead. And the Holy Spirit is not a consolation prize here. He's telling them, you've got a lot of work to do before the kingdom is going to be set up. But they could be comforted to know that the timing was in God's hands. And that all the heartache and tragedy in the world that was going on, here's God sending the Holy Spirit that's going to make all the difference in the lives of his chosen ones. Totally in sync with his sovereign plans. They may have felt much like we do today. You see tragedy, you see heartache, you see appalling situations. You just turn on the news and you just, you just you can't believe it, but you know it's true. The depravity of man just on, on, um, on widespread display. And we find ourselves crying out to God Lord how long How long before you come back And set things right How long before you you put things Back the way they're supposed to be But they ask him Is it at this time That you're restoring the kingdom To us To Israel Very nationalistic It's all about them and what Jesus does is he refocuses them. He points them in the right direction, very patiently. He says in verse seven, it is not for you to know times or epochs, seasons, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. The, the Greek words are kind of cool. It's kairos and chronos. It's seasons of time and moments in time. He's saying all the things that you're worried about, about what's gonna happen next. That's what, that's what I no, and you don't. In fact, you need to, you need to not worry. It's, it's, he's saying it, it's, for, it's for me to know and you to find out, basically. It's almost like he's saying, guys, you, you know better than to ask this. I mean, how long did we hang out? Three, three years? See, the timing is God's secret. And when he says this, there are a lot of things that we get all hung up about as believers. End times things, especially. So when they ask a question like, Is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. He's not saying you can't ask the question or you can't think about it. What he's saying is, don't get so hung up about it. The timing is God's secret. You take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You let me worry about the God stuff. And I love this. Jesus doesn't just keep them hanging. He doesn't just say, hey, get out of here. You know, skedaddle and go go with the gospel. No, he he tells them exactly how this is going to be accomplished. We get to verse 8. Verse 8 is the key verse in the whole book of Acts. And here's what he says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There it is. Wow. You're going to receive power. Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We're in the we're in the key verse of the whole book of Acts, and I and I'll tell you, if you're anything like me, that if I say let that sink in for a moment, it doesn't sink very deep. Because the ground gets a little hard when we get used to verses and we just start thinking, Oh yeah. Go to verse nine now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's like no big deal. I think maybe, I think maybe, I know I am uh, way too familiar sometimes with with certain verses in Scripture. See, we're talking about the power of God. We're talking about creation out of nothing power of God. We're talking raising dead people to life, resurrection power of God. We're talking about, I can do anything, anytime I want, because I'm God Almighty, power of God. And he's telling them, you don't get so worried about what's going to happen. You are going to get power from me, and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you in that power. Now, he had just spoken of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And that word baptized doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's going to go dunk them in water, but it, it means to be immersed, to be submerged into the Holy Spirit. And it is a statement of fact. It is not something you have to work for. 1 Corinthians 12 says, We have all been baptized, literally submerged into the Holy Spirit. That's a statement of unconditional fact for believers. That every believer following Pentecost receives the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life as the dominating force in your life. You are, the Bible says, sealed with the Spirit. You are protected for eternal glory by the Spirit. You are anointed by God with the Spirit. That the Holy Spirit lives within you. You cannot see Him. You cannot touch Him. You cannot feel Him. He is there with you spiritually. And Paul prayed. He prayed in Ephesians that that we would understand. That we would know. That we would be filled with the full power of the Holy Spirit. And it's evidenced by fruit that gets brought out into your life, evidence of God's work in your life as a believer. And it's evidence by increased love and fullness, uh, a consuming sense of worship and awe of God because there, there is a power that is working in you that is not of you. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled, be filled with the Spirit. That you should be dominated by the word of God Because that's how the spirit's power Is released and unleashed Paul says 1 Corinthians 6 Your body is the temple Of the Holy Spirit It's not well it might be It is And you don't seek that You receive it as a gift It's not a second blessing It's a first blessing And a lot of people get that wrong And get themselves in all kinds of emotional wackiness Because of it by one spirit we were all baptized into one body engulfed in the Holy Spirit for power for power Luke 24 and and, you know Luke the end of Luke's gospel and the beginning of of Acts overlap each other in, in the ascension okay that's the that's the thing they have in common is the Luke ends with the ascension Acts begins with it that's what we're looking at today And Luke 24 says this Repentance and forgiveness of sins Should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations Beginning from Jerusalem And then You are witnesses of these things And behold I am sending the promise Of my father upon you But stay in the city Until You are clothed with power From on high And you're filled with the spirit Jesus was anointed at his baptism with the Spirit and power. It makes sense that that his followers would be anointed with the Spirit and power in order to do his work. The method is very clear that Jesus is bringing out. He is going to use Spirit-filled, Spirit-powered witnesses to do his work. That's going to be his method. Now, the second thing we see is also in verse 8, And it's the size and the scope of the work. The magnitude of the mission. So verse 8 goes on and says, And you will be my witnesses. Witnesses in Jerusalem. And again, here's these concentric circles that we put in the outline from last week. I believe it's on the back of your sermon notes. It's probably up on the screen right now. You'll be my concentric circle witnesses from jerusalem to judea and samaria to the ends of the earth quite staggering quite staggering now i want to look at this at face value for a moment humanly speaking the whole mission is preposterous it's crazy You've got 11 disciples left The apostles, 11 They're going to add one They're going to bring in Matthias We'll see that soon So now you've got 12 And to think that this group Could even reach just Jerusalem Is a stretch To go out to Judea and Samaria Outlandish To reach the whole world You've got to be kidding me Unthinkable I mean, we're talking people that dealt with faithlessness, lack of education. They were cowards and they were often disobedient. This is what Jesus is going to reach the whole world with? Now think for a moment if you were going to start a business, a business venture with a handful of people, let's say 12. And you said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take 12 uneducated, broke people who have no home office, no training, no gifting, and we are going to reach, wait for it, the entire universe. Everyone in the world will be reached by our new business. It's like, you want to just try reaching your neighborhood first with this new business venture? Because it's going to fail. So here's what you've got. And I think in the eyes of the apostles, they were probably thinking this themselves like, power? Us? What? And even more so in the eyes of their immediate world, preposterous. Completely and utterly out of reach, this goal to, this magnanimous goal to reach the entire world. We're going to start with these these 12 that had no worldly power, no worldly position, no no worldly gifting that could give them any sort of leg up on the competition and and very unlikely suspects to do this with and and faithless, disobedient, cowardly, impatient. Hey, Lord, are you gonna set up the kingdom now? So you, you bottom line it and go, okay, so wait a minute. So what you're telling me is we're gonna reach everyone through a bunch of nobodies Who don't know how to do anything That's great Wow that, that's, that's wonderful Unless And this is a big Unless here right Unless it doesn't depend on them And that the X factor is God And It's obviously a, a job too big for mere mortals But we're dealing with God almighty And his power. I heard that he could even use stones to praise him. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem. Judea and Samaria. Uh, Jews don't go there and even to the remotest part of the earth. God promised to provide the power, though, and the scope of their mission would be as far as people can go. Reaching people in untold locations, reverberating out, emanating out from Jerusalem. And what you see as you go through the book of Acts is that the apostles became very aware that they were witnesses. We're going to see it soon, but what happened on the day of Pentecost is supernatural. So in chapter 2, they're preaching, this Jesus, God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Witnesses to the resurrection. Chapter 3, they put to death the Prince of Life, the one whom God raised from the dead. A fact to which we are all witnesses. Chapter 5, we're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him that's code word here for believe in him chapter 10 we are witness of all the things he did both in the land of the jews and in jerusalem they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross but he sent witnesses who were chosen beforehand by god that is to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead sound familiar Chapter 13 says, For many days he appeared to those who came with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And what we see is that the the apostles knew that God had sovereignly chosen them for salvation and for service. This is the same gospel power that if you're a believer today, that's, that's what you've got in your life. Now, the first group of witnesses Completely missed the magnitude The scope of the mission Partly due to national pride And prejudice They thought it was only for them God's chosen people, Israel Partly because they missed a huge emphasis In the the Old Testament God said he would choose people From all the nations It was a task that Israel did not fulfill Due to disobedience But Jesus, the perfect servant of the Lord, did and he is now passing the baton onto his disciples, onto his followers. God told Israel in Isaiah 43, you are my witnesses. So Jesus told his apostles, you will be my witnesses. Paul quoted Isaiah 49, 6 in Acts chapter 13 and he said that the preachers of the gospel were called a light to the Gentiles. They took salvation to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 45, says, God says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Isaiah 52, 10, the nations will come from the ends of the earth. Zechariah nine ten, his dominion to the ends of the earth. So very clear that the magnitude of the mission is very great. There would be a light to the nations to open blind eyes. But first, Jesus was going to have to open the blind eyes of his chosen witnesses. Because his call to be witnesses going from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria into the uttermost parts of the earth were a complete culture shock. Jews were brought up being told, you don't have dealings with Samaritans. You walk around Samaria... You avoid Gentiles to maintain uh, ceremonial purity. There were significant cultural boundaries to overcome. Samaria, geographically very close, culturally worlds away. And even though the gospel went from Jerusalem only as far as Rome, which was the remotest place from Jerusalem in that day, it involved tremendous geographical separation they had none of the worldwide connectedness that we enjoy today they couldn't just get on their phone and text someone in rome and say hey jesus loves you in fact right now i'd like to encourage you to to get your phone out and text someone that isn't here and tell them jesus loves them you have permission in fact when you do that raise your hand i won't point you out i'll just look at you and smile after you've done that, just raise your hand. Say, I just I just texted someone that Jesus loves them. And it's someone maybe even far away. The separation was more personal, though, and more prejudicial than hard to get there. But let me ask you: what, what attitudinal barriers, what prejudicial barriers are in the way of you being a fruitful and contagious witness for the gospel. What barriers do you need to overcome that you need to repent of? Do you know effective witnesses are are contagious repenters. They live a lifestyle of repentance. God shows them uh, their heart and they realize, wow, I've been singling out certain people as not worthy of the gospel because I don't like them. Do You know, if you want to win some people for Christ, you must be winsome in your witness for Christ, which means you're humble, you're sensitive, you're grateful. You're not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to. You're not thinking of yourself more important than other people. You will never minister effectively to anyone you think less of or dislike or resent I told you last week that you're going to hear a couple things from me over and over again and one of them is you need to reach your neighbors relationally engage them relationally with the gospel that those around you that God has put you in your neighborhood for a reason for a very good reason and you have a connection to your neighbors that I don't have And I have a connection to my neighbors That you don't have And we have this opportunity But what do we do We get angry at our mission field Because we don't like That they Put their tree clippings on our side of the fence Or we don't like That the music they played was too loud Or whatever And what we need to do If we want to be winsome witnesses for Jesus Is love people One soul at a time one soul at a time. You testify to the truth because you're humbled by the task, you're humbled by the Lord, you're humbled by His word, and witnesses can only testify. And if you're, a, if you're an attorney here, you know what I'm talking about. And if you've ever been called as a witness in a court of law, you know what I'm talking about. Or if you've ever watched a police show or a lawyer show, you know what I'm talking about. You all know what I'm talking about. A witness witness can only testify to what they have personally seen and heard if you go in and they you say well i heard that someone said they're like get out of here we want to talk to them you have to have firsthand knowledge so if you're gonna be a witness to jesus you got to have personal experience of jesus you can't go off your friend's relationship with jesus or your family's relationship with jesus you got to have firsthand knowledge that you are saved by grace through faith in christ if you're not a christian you're gonna say well what does that take you know you're here so maybe you're like well tell me more because i knew i was coming to a church this morning right okay what does it take to have a heart that's right with god simple humble faith in christ Faith that says I've made a mess of my life. I've I've made a shambles of my life. Faith that says that Jesus is the only way to be saved and he died on the cross for my sins and he's the only one that can make things right. I don't deserve it, but I want what he has. You know, Paul and Silas preached in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Put your trust in him. He will save you. There's a beautiful picture of humble faith when Jesus was on the cross. They crucified two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And one of those started yelling at Jesus, insulting him and saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked the other criminal and said, Don't you fear God? We are under a condemnation of death. We deserve it. This man has done nothing wrong. And he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I love Jesus' reply. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That man on that cross could barely lift his torso to take a breath. And in a matter of a few hours, he was going to be with Jesus forever. Now, if you can't believe that, then you can't believe that Jesus would save you when you come to him and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and I need you to forgive me and and make me a new person. It's interesting, in Acts chapter 10, I love the apostolic preaching, it says, we are witnesses of all that Jesus did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses. Witnesses. Who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. And to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins by his name. Are you glad? If you're a believer today you're like thank you jesus i'm gonna sing a song at the end it's thank you jesus jesus thank you the bottom line on this is that everyone should believe in the lord jesus and trust his finished work on the cross in shedding his blood to pay sin's penalty we cannot assume that everyone knows who jesus is it doesn't matter if you're the youngest child or the oldest adult i am not going to assume that you know who jesus is This week at Vacation Bible School, we're not going to assume that everybody knows who Jesus is just because they live in America. We've got to explain that Jesus died for our sins, that he poured out his blood, that he offers eternal life to all who will believe. All who are are believers are freed from the power and penalty of sins, and one day you'll be freed from its presence in that sinless glory of heaven that we will enjoy. You know, Peter said, even if you can't see him, you love him. Even if you, you can't see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. If you're Christ's witness, you testify to what you've seen and heard firsthand, and you consider it a magnificent privilege, not a hobby. Not a hobby but an all-encompassing calling, an all-consuming passion, a lifelong vocation from God. And it's not just for first century apostles. It's not just for elite missionary types. It is for everyone who comes to faith in Christ because Jesus said, you will be my, say it with me, witnesses, witnesses. He chose you for his purposes. So you will be because God wills it so. That's why you are. He is the sovereign king. You're chosen in him to bear witness to Jesus in the resurrection, commissioned by the king. In Israel's history, God was acknowledged as the sovereign king, and it was evidenced most by his subjects doing his will. Jesus said, You're my my friends if you do what I command. His witnesses do his will, they do his work in his power. And that's why you see Christ's witnesses risk their lives for the truth. We are his witnesses, literally his martyrs. The Greek word is martyrius, it means a witness. But witnesses became known as martyrs because so many of them lost their lives. Now, you might not be called upon to physically die for Christ, but you need to be willing to. Everyone who is in Christ is called to deny themselves and and take up their cross and follow Christ. It's interesting, but the world, the world of the apostles, was totally pagan there was no supporting christian culture i think sometimes we rest more on the supporting christian culture than we do on jesus and the word of god and the gospel and the holy spirit here's what they had they had the word of god they had the spirit indwelling them and they preached the gospel by the power of god and and even in the book of acts it says they've turned the world upside down Maybe we've trusted too much in the supporting Christian culture and not enough on God himself. We have more Bibles today than ever in history. Every day I use my Bible app that just got, the YouVersion app just got updated this week. It's a great app. I listen to the Bible on it almost every single day. We have more Bibles, millions and millions of even electronic Bibles. We have more gospel books than ever before in history, and people are dying without Jesus because they don't know who he is and because they reject him. And we think that God can't reach people. We look at someone and say, no, no, that's not possible. God couldn't change their life. We fear rejection and persecution more than we fear God himself. Over and over again in the book of Acts, you know what we're going to see? Is the wrath of man against Jesus and the gospel. In the context of a supernatural spread of the gospel and the growth of the church, we see accompanied by persecution. The first martyr, Stephen, they, they drove him out of the city. They stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And God knocked Saul off his high horse and saved his soul. Paul says, I was a, a persecutor, a violent aggressor. But God showed me mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And even when Paul was a brand new baby Christian, the church didn't believe He was really saved I think it's very easy for us to say Well if I'm just humble Everyone's going to like my message Everyone will receive my words As I bring the gospel Not true They may kill you On January 8th 1956 in Ecuador Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, Roger Udarian, and Pete Fleming were humble men of God bringing the gospel to the Aka Indians of Ecuador, and they paid for it with their lives. They were speared to death by those they were trying to reach for Christ. In fact, Jim's widow, Elizabeth Elliott, who just passed away last Monday, I wept when I heard it because she is one of my favorite authors, and now she is enjoying the joy of the Father but she stayed and worked with the very killers of her husband and many of that tribe came to know Christ we will spend eternity with some that people would say well let's just let's just bomb them cuz they're not worthy i want you to see one more thing and then we're then we're going to close i want you to see the last three verses because we know how jesus is going to do it he is going to use spirit empowered witnesses and we know that the magnitude is the whole world's going to get reached and think about it people are getting born all the time so the, the the work is even more massive than it was before even more daunting of a task but we need to know is there an end date on this that god does know and the answer is yes yes Uh, When will Jesus' work through his spirit-powered witnesses be complete? When will it become mature? Uh, It will will happen when Jesus comes again. Now, verse 9, the disciples, the apostles get a double whammy shock of the first century. Jesus gets transported into heaven before their very eyes. No wires or anything like that. Literally, in real time, the real deal. He's lifted up, and a cloud takes him out of their sight, This is the ascension 40 days after the resurrection And a cloud This is key here A cloud takes him up The cloud is key Because it's the Shekinah glory of God Three times with relation to Christ's mission You see a cloud Previously on the Mount of Transfiguration Here at his ascension In the future at his second coming On the Mount of Transfiguration The cloud dissolved Jesus was still there with them Not this time They're awestruck. They're shock and awe. And so they're gazing into heaven. Literally, it means we're losing you, Jesus. They're gazing. They're staring. It's a medical term referring to a very peculiar fixed look, like you're losing something valuable. And two men, two angels had to be sent to tell them, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus will come in the same way that you saw him go. He's gonna come again. I'm sure... They were putting two and two together at this point and saying, hey, wait. He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. See, the work stops when Christ returns. Or you die, whichever comes first. What is your expectation of what God is going to do? Yeah, remember what I said last week? Here's your job as a Christian. Serve God's purposes and get out of here. Die. And here's, if your expectation of Jesus is right, here's what you'll expect. You will expect him to be powerfully present with you everywhere you go. As the Bible tells us that he manifests the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him every place we go. And if your expectation of Jesus is accurate, you will expect him to return in his perfect time and you will say, it is good for me not to know only God knows is okay with me because I have immense comfort knowing that God is sovereign and his timing is perfect so I'm gonna get to work because his witnesses do his work in his power and they long for his return I've said this before the best end times view for you and me to hold is the one that leads us to love Jesus more and to live for his glory and to long for his return when he returns the witness work is over I want you to see a very short, I think a minute and a half video right now about the spread of the gospel. Because you may be burdened today and you go, I don't even know which end is up. All I can say is Jesus, help me. I want you to be encouraged by the spread of the gospel. Spread of the gospel. God did that through his spirit-powered witnesses. And some of those places are considered unreached today because new people have been born. I know exactly what some of you were thinking. Hey, wait a minute. I've heard of some of the group's in some of the countries and some of the peoples and I, I know some of their tactics were wrong and I know, and I know the, uh, what happened? you know what happened? God used sinful people just like he does today to do his sovereign work to bring the gospel none of us are perfect all of us are flawed but we are bringing a perfect gospel and the power of God to a needy world we are preaching the gospel of the grace of God in Christ we have the same mission We have the same disobedience tendencies, the same lack of power in and of ourselves, the same total dependence, the same impatience. If you are a Christian, you have received the Holy Spirit and you are Christ's witness. Don't squeeze the life out of the mission by insisting on your own way, hunkering down and settling in and say, I'm just gonna spend my days for myself. Ask the question, how can I spend my days in service of a kingdom greater? How can I spend my days serving Jesus? Don't ask how we're gonna grow Grace Church of Orange, but how we as a body are going to partner with God in growing the kingdom of God starting right here, starting in our hearts, starting in our homes and the household of God known as Grace Church of Orange. What's your vision For what God might do Don't Don't choose a mini vision Don't say We want to fill up All three services On Sunday at at Grace Go for a mega vision That says Let's reach As many people For Christ In our lifetime As we can That's why we do things Like Vacation Bible School That's why we Go to all sorts of work To make things like this happen Not for the sheer pleasure Of making dramatic backdrops And Paper mache giraffes that by the way have no legs. <laughs> Only the necks and on up. just want you to know this. Um, we do it so the people will come to know Jesus. Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross preaching peace to our hearts so that we might have peace with God and that we might preach the gospel of peace in the world being peacemakers. after the resurrection and really for the rest of the New Testament here's what you get you get people preaching the gospel and Acts says they preached it with boldness and some of you are saying well whoa whoa I'm not a preacher as I close let me give you one snapshot from the book of Acts that should blow your mind and open things up for you in a great way Acts chapter 8 verses 4, 5, and 6 Verse 4 says that those who were scattered because of the persecution went about preaching the gospel. And that does not mean they were standing in front of a group of people preaching. It means they were going one-to-one, reaching one soul at a time. It's the Greek word euangelion. It means to announce good news. And it's, it, it first was it was private proclamation, personal proclamation of the gospel. Every one of us can do this. Reach one person at a time. And the next verse, verse 5, says that Philip began to preach to all the cities. A different word for preach, keruso. It means to to address a group, such as I'm doing right now. Address a group and preach the word. Verse 6 says that all the crowds that were hearing Philip preach, we're being attentive to the message. So what you have here is the gospel is going to spread by one-on-one personal testimony and group by group via public proclamation. And if God gives you the platform to proclaim publicly, take it. And he has given every one of us the opportunity to reach one person at a time with the gospel, loving one soul at a time, till Christ returns. We can do this because Jesus is powerful. Lord God, I pray that we would, would dive in wherever you've called us to serve your sovereign purposes, doing Christ's work until the the personal, visible, bodily imminent promise return of christ when he comes to set up his kingdom and reign forever lord god inspire us to love you and to love people one soul at a time for your glory in christ's name amen